involved in the crib. Got two kids and my baby mama late. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. So I had to did what I had to did, cause I had to give. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Greetings, hello, salutations, hi. My name is Noah Tarno, and you are listening to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. Your absolute favorite podcast featuring the open-minded musings of two late 40s curmudgeons bravely, boldly staring down the prospect of their entertainment irrelevance. We are back. We took about a month off due to our various travels. Uh, Once again, my name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and senior quiz master of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show Spectacular. Uh, I was uh, in a few places, Minnesota, Denver, uh, San Diego, traveling, seeing the world, enjoying the sights, do, getting some uh, take TCB, as the kids say. And uh, my my co-host was also traveling. Say hello. Tell us about your uh, your your globe trotting, if you would, sir. I'm so glad you announced your name because I completely forgotten who you were in the month uh, before. <laughs> after all after all these weeks, yeah. Yeah, it really kind of came and shook me. I just sketch up. I forgot who you were, where we were, what we do here, what the purpose, how old I was. Yeah, my name my name is Bill Scurry. I'm the uh, founder and proprietor of something called American Caesar Enterprises. Which is, uh, you know, a pretty reliable IVF clinic. We do okay. <laughs> okay. Folks, if, if you're having trouble having a baby, go see Bill. He'll fix you right up. Yeah, no, uh, see, see me in particular. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I'll refer, maybe, maybe I'll go to the clinic later. I don't know. Do you remember 30 years ago that guy, he ran like, uh, he ran like an IVF clinic or something and it turned out he had used his sperm to impregnate like 80 women yeah that's that's arrested. more that's more of a sperm bank more than an ivf clinic that's a different uh, right yeah we yeah, don't yeah that's out of our purview sperm. yeah right and snl his own personal it. sperm uh, right exactly as, a, and as opposed think, to his impersonal it, sperm <laughs> <laughs> well you know he borrowed it from a friend yeah. uh i believe there was in like an snl skip back in our snl glory days the early 90s when um it was like he was sentenced to, he had to star in a sitcom with all the, the 80 kids. That <laughs> I gotta remember that one. Yeah. I know Vince, 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 Vince Vaughn did a, uh, there was a, a movie I don't remember seeing where apparently all the kids he uh, had, you know, he was a sperm donor and all the kids, uh, either the mothers were right. looking to contact him. I can't remember what it was right. called. It doesn't matter what it was called. I remember the ads on the subway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's um, like him, him and a crowd of babies all photoshopped together. Exactly. Anyway, hi. Uh, so we look at things that are hot, that are new, that are happening, that are, people are buzzing about, particularly people younger than us are buzzing about. And we're trying to make sense of it because we are careening toward 50. The yeah. clock is ticking in more ways it, than one. It doesn't look good. It does not look good. <laughs> My hand does not look good. It does not look good. And uh, anyway, uh, so the topic this week, I stumbled upon this reading on Slate.com. It ties in with, you know, TikTok and the whole influencer culture that people our age have so much trouble wrapping their mind around. Our topic this week is a guy named Keith Lee. And not just Keith Lee in general, but the reason Keith Lee stories have peaked into the quote-unquote mainstream like Slate.com. So let me tell you about Keith Lee. Keith Lee is a 27-year-old man from Las Vegas, Nevada, African-American man, and that will be relevant in a few moments. And uh, he's a former professional MMA fighter. Interesting. And he basically quit MMA several years ago. And apparently on a lark, he started making videos about, he calls himself a foodie, um, about going to restaurants in Las Vegas and reviewing the food. He says he kind of started doing it because he had a fear of public speaking and he wanted to get over that. He claims he has social anxiety and watching his videos, you know, 
He's not the most outgoing guy in the world, but he makes it work for him. Um, so he started making videos about his wife, uh, her the strange pregnancy craving she was having. So he'd seek out the food she wanted, and he'd try out the foods, and usually he would get takeout, eat it in his car, make a video, and review all the foods. And uh, it caught on, and he went... As of October 2023, he had started with a million TikTok followers, I guess, from his MMA career. And as of uh, last month, he has 14.2 million you, you just followers. You start with the first million, Noah. Yes. Start with the first, but, you know, a small loan of TikTok followers from your father. So 14.2 million. Uh, he has become one of the most popular uh, food influencers on social media to the point where he started reviewing restaurants in the Vegas area and a good review from him uh, was a huge boon to the business. And businesses started writing him notes like, hey, we could use help. A big example out there is there's a pizza place in Vegas called Frank and Sons. And they were having trouble keeping the doors open. And uh, he got an email from an employee there, very polite, kind email saying, please come check it out. The food's great. He went, he raved about the food, loved it. And as a result, uh, here's a quote from uh, the owner of Frank and Sons. I have people coming in from Iowa, people from California, Lake Havasu. I have people come down from Utah all because of this video. Um, and his uh, the positive review Lee gave it has been viewed more than 22 million times and received more than 4 million likes. Um, so, you know, where he goes, people follow. But he really seems to be a humble guy. His uh, reviews seem very honest, very direct. Uh, and he... Um, refuses the special service that a lot of food influencers and going back in time, a lot of food reviewers get. He usually does not even go into the restaurant. He has his wife go in, get the food, carry out, eat it in his car because he doesn't want special treatment. He always pays for the food as opposed to a lot of influencers and food reviewers who, if not demanding freebies, you know, happily accept them when offered. Um Obviously, he's become very popular. He's been approached by a producer of TV show. He uh, he collaborated with the former topic of ours, Mr. Beast. I'm not sure on what. It just said to give attention to lesser-known restaurants. He does tend to seek out uh, Black-owned restaurants and champion them, which a lot of people find laudable. And he's also, look, this toxic social media world. I, Bill, talk about something I don't get. He could have a place of bad review and someone would like send death threats to the rest. Like, like, what? What are you doing? It's a little beyond the pale. Why would, like, in what? Anyway, he speaks out against that. I don't know if it makes a difference, but he's always like, look, even if the food's bad, these people, maybe they've just had a bad day. I don't condone that. So, you know, give, give him that. Uh, but the big reason he popped into the mainstream is he did, he and his family did like a little food tour. They went city to city and they ended up in Atlanta last week. And Atlanta has a very fertile food culture, especially an African-American food culture. And apparently, I didn't know this, Bill, a lot of fancy restaurants, Black-owned and, and if not catering to a Black clientele, I mean, you know, if, drawing up. If not in Atlanta, then where, really? Yeah, I don't know. Washington, D.C.? Nashville? Chicago? Yeah, I potentially. Mean, a lot of big cities have a lot of African-Americans in them. Right, but it's like, you know, uh, they, you know what? I heard this term. I've seen this before, the idea of the so-called chocolate city. And that was, Yeah, there was know. a George Clinton song about that, Chocolate yeah. City, which is I, basically I, a song, a, a city that, I don't know, over some percentage black. Yeah, I'm right. not making that up, by the way. This is not my, this is, this is, a, yeah, okay. And it's not about dessert. Yes. Correct. So, he went to Atlanta. Uh, so these restaurants, they're not, I mean, he likes to go to a little, a lot of hole in the wall places, but 
He started going to some of the fancy places. And the two places that got the most attention is a place called The Real Milk and Honey and another restaurant called Old Lady Gang. I do not understand the meaning of that name. And Old Lady Gang is co-owned by Candy Burris, who's a uh, songwriter. She's written a lot of, she wrote a lot of big uh, R&B songs in the 90s. She co-wrote uh, No Scrubs and uh, Bills, Bills, Bills. And then she became uh, more famous as a, a real housewife of Atlanta. Anyway, both of these restaurants he had similar bad experiences with. Uh, his wife went in to get takeout. They wouldn't do takeout. They call, no one answers the phone. They say we're closed for cleaning while other people are going in and out taking their food, right? Bad service all around. And then Lee goes in and shows his face there and they go, oh, you're Keith Lee, we'll seat you immediately. And he bristled at that. He doesn't want the special treatment. So he made videos basically trashing both these places, but in his nice, polite, forgiving way, and people lost their freaking minds. And it wasn't just the crazy people who send death threats, which makes no sense to me. Or there's another restaurant called Milk and Honey, as opposed to the real Milk and Honey. Had nothing to do with it. They got death threats. People are so fucking stupid. But it opened up this whole thing of people sort of agreeing with him and saying a lot of these fancy black-owned restaurants in Atlanta have a bad attitude. They have arbitrary rules. They treat customers like crap. You know, they have egos. They're out of control. A reckoning in the world of black restaurants in Atlanta. And it took a nice popular guy like Keith Lee to bust it open. So Bill, I don't know, maybe I'm all over the place here. What do you think of Keith Lee, the food influencer? And what do you think of the, because you know, no one knows more about African-American food culture in Atlanta yes. than you and me, yeah. a city I have never been to, by the way, other than the airport. Uh, what do you think of Keith Lee and the attendant brouhaha over the Atlanta food situation? I think your praise covers just about everything anyone could want to know about this. Good. Um, Done. Know, I had, Done. I had not heard. See you later. Uh, until you pitched this, I had not heard about this. Um, and it's funny. Once I started looking for it, I'm like, oh, there was a there was a Washington Post story recently. Like this, this there were there were little bits and pieces of, of, of you know daylight around. It's like with then Keith Lee started appearing more. I was looking for it. I'm like, oh, it's so strange that this just was in places I would never look. Uh, but, you know, there, there's something about this, even though it is um, a few things that are, I mean, it's intersectional, but, you know, a, a young dude who is an MMA guy, an unlikely way to get into food writing, winds up becoming the, uh, the scourge of Atlanta. Atlanta dining is a very strange trek. Um, however, I saw yeah. a, I saw a well, lot. Well, he liked some other places. He's the scourge of these places, yeah, right? Right, right. Like he did go to, like there's a video of him going to some little tiny jerk chicken place in Atlanta and saying it's the greatest thing ever. So, yeah, yeah. No, know, that, 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 that is an incredible video. If you actually watch that, that is, yeah. um, it's a little bit of magic. You want, you want your heart to put back in your chest and, and, and some of your feelings return to you. Uh, that's a good one to watch. Either, it's on the TikTok and YouTube at the same time. But, uh, you know, Keith Lee is, uh, the first thing I looked for, is that you know the article you sent me was on uh, what slate, and it, it did not have a lot of context in terms of what he did, how his actual reviewing style was. I just saw the sort of effect of what he did on the world and how people took it, and I was like, well, what is this guy's style like? If you say to me Inst Instagram or no a, a Twitch TikTok influencer. I immediately assume the worst in terms of someone's prowess. Or... <laughs> so the, having watched a bunch of his reviews, I was like, I was instantly edified because I'm like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. And it's almost in some ways um, 
I don't know if it's the best way, but there's something really natural and uh, earned about it because it's not like he went to Escoffier or or what are they called CCA, uh, CIA, you know what are the like, yeah, traditional? I always find that funny that the big chef school is called CIA. Yeah, you know the, the idea that there's like a traditional schooling where these people come out of cooking schools. It's like no, he's a guy who likes food and just yeah. essentially chases flavors and he's developed. He's de- wait a minute, wait a minute. How many food writers are former chefs? Um, Not a lot. I well, I don't know, but I mean, if you look at, I was, you know, what are the, the two names I have written down here? Where in my did notes? Craig Claiborne go to school? You know, I think I, a lot of critics just learn it organically. No, you know, no, but they they come from. I don't know if they come from. They at least are are learned it in terms of food prep, and you know, they they. I think it's in some. If you're like Sam Sifton or Pete Wells, the guy who worked for the Times, grant that that's like the the highest echelon right now in terms of food writers. The dudes who work for the big daily broadsheets. Uh, that is one type of style. And then, you, you know, on there you have magazines, like the kind of people who would work for uh, Ina Garten. You know, the, the whole foodie culture was so refined and it was this, this you know, everyone was just essentially exchanging the same breath of air between everybody. That's how cosseted it was. But it's like I really appreciate listening to a bunch of this guy's reviews because he honestly just chased down what he liked and built a palette. So I don't know how many years he'd been into it, but listening to him, how he shook down each meal was so super interesting. It was so basic. It was so elemental. It was actually on point where he talked about, I like this flavor. I don't like this flavor. I detect all of these ingredients inside of it. This is what the mouthfeel is like. His glossary and his vocabulary is just really fundamentally correct in the way that you would sort of hope a citizen journalist or whatever you want to call it would be you know like if anybody's going to review something you really want to know is this good is it bad why is it good is it bad why do you like it why would you recommend it he's doing all those things uh really well and you know like i said i had assumed the worst just simply because of the venue he's in because it's tiktok um so the whole thing about then how do you get them to be a guy who has 14.5 million followers 14.2 sorry million followers and I couldn't quite figure out watching him pass around some of the cabbage, like these gigantic tips where he's like leaving the entire yield for a business for that day as his tip. He'd say, he's like, how much did you do a business today? The woman said 2600 He says, oh, that's your tip. Put that on my card too. And he would Wait, double. Where does he get this money? I don't know. I mean, I don't he, couldn't know. Have made, he couldn't have gotten rich as an MMA guy. He had like five professional No, fans. no, no. It, this, this is, yeah, five professional. This is way more than that. And that's the thing. I don't understand where he gets the money from. I, I does, mean, does he make a lot of money? TikToking? I don't see Yes, how. it's got to be. Well, it's like, again, the Mr. Beast quandary. It's like, where does this cash come from? It's not his business to reveal it. Revelation is not his problem. But if we look at him, one of the questions I have is like, Jesus, how rich are you? Where are you getting it from? You know, look, everything about Keith Lee says a complete lack of sophistication. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I kind of mean that in a good way. He, he you know, you, you kind of hinted at his review style is quiet it's monotone. It is almost like a Wes. He's Anderson. not a showman at all. It's like a yeah. Wes Anderson uh, delivery where it is done. Uh, oh my god, it, he's so not Wes Anderson, the, no, the least black filmmaker in the world. No, but the idea of everybody talking in a constant monotone in a motormouth style, very deadpan. That's how this guy delivers his thing, and it's like, and when you watch him in the videos, that's not at all how he interacts in real life. That's a style he puts on for the TikTok videos, which again, he's doing it very quickly. He gets them in under four minutes or so. And he tells you everything you need to know. And it's like, it's strange. He's, he's, he's a-charismatic or anti-charismatic to some degree, which maybe is its own form of charisma. He's a-charismatic, right, which flips again to the other side and makes him charismatic. Yeah, perhaps. So, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that the correction, the reason why we're talking about him is because of what 
he had kind of wrought, whether it was by choice or just by you know happenstance upon this um, fine dining sector of Atlanta. That, uh, I mean, you know, that's what it was. It's exactly what you just said, but it reminded me of New York and how um, I remember through the mid two thousand to the mid twenty teens, thinking that there was so much, there was so much of a foodie culture in America in New oh. York. But it was based on the idea that we're going to make good food, but you cannot have it. And it was the, it was the, the antithesis of hospitality. And you know yeah. what? This guy, David Chang, who was one of the most celebrated oh. New York chefs over the last Remember, to years. get a seat at his restaurant, you had to like email yes. between these hours. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they, they, had, they had about 14 seats. And yeah. it was, it was the, the seats looked like uh, high school chemistry lab chairs. They were uncomfortable. They were, they were essentially benches. And you got what they made. And that's like, you know what? If you, get, if you can get in, the food was great. But it's like it was so hard to get the food. It was artificially depressed. And it, it became this thing. It's like, well, the restaurants would close down. It's like, that's because you can only serve 30 people a day. And it's like, what kind of business model is this? The whole idea was exclusivity. The whole idea is what this, one of the things I kept hearing about in this, this series of articles about Keith Lee was the rules, the idea of rules for food. And everybody in Atlanta came up with their own little uh, code. It was like a, a bumblebee dance to co- communicate where the, where, the, where the pollen was, you know. And it was so arcane and so Byzantine. And he was just coming in there and saying, this is bullshit. Why are you making it so hard to get food? Why are you codifying food or commodifying it into this weird thing? I love the idea of flogging the sort of over-baroquing or over-Byzantining food. You know, it's like the, the last thing you should do is turn food into something that, you know, is, uh, you know, lacks the ability to feed people. Because what the fuck is the point of food if you can't get to it? Yeah, I agree as well. Um, you know, his videos don't really do it for me. I'm not a foodie guy, food review guy. He's fine. Um, you know, and I don't like the TikTok style. He does this thing where while he's talking, it's just a tight close up. And he chews into the camera. It cuts to a huge, like real tight close up of like just his nose and his eyes. And I, I, I mean, that's like a TikTok tick, I guess. <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen something, seen that or something like that in other TikTok videos. And it, I, I'm sure it's just something you're used to if you're, inured in TikTok culture, but I'm not. So I'm like, also, if you, if you have misophonia, here. if you have misophonia, his channel's not for you because there's a lot of eating right to the camera. There's like scooping, yes, there scooping is. up food and bread there's and some chewing. ASMR elements to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is that he's just so likable. I mean, the videos with his wife and then there's videos of him playing with his kids. You know, this guy comes from the Ronald Gladden school of guys who look Kinda. like they might that's be a good, scumbags, that's a good, that's a good but comment. aren't. Right. They look like they could be pieces of shit, but they I mean, maybe it's all put on. Maybe he is a monster, but like I doubt it. And, you know, restores your faith in humanity that guys who look like they might be scummy or not are actually great. You know, he goes so far out of his way to say, I won't take special treatment, serve the regular people. I'm just a regular guy. Don't be mean to people. Yes, this food sucked, but these people are still trying to earn a living, you know, whatever. Um, And I'll tell you something else about the food. He's sitting there eating these big he opens like the big styrofoam containers. He's like, oh, look at that chicken. And I'm like, this food looks disgusting. <laughs> You're not a food I, guy, I am, you know? I am not a food guy. I'm one of these guys who, I mean, I don't really eat fast food anymore. But as a kid, I loved it. And I get the appeal of fast food is that like, you always know what to expect. I mean, ironically, you don't because there's poison in it. But like the presentation. So like I see food looking really like, you know, meat looking like flesh of a dead animal. And I might eat it, but I, I get a little grossed out. So the food, he, he'll be praising food that to me looks disgusting sometimes. But in some ways that's endearing because it's real. 
right? He's not, you know, it's not a beautifully manicured food photographer result like you'd find in a New York Times review or something. So I could say the food looks gross, but that's endearing. So that's how I feel about Keith Lee in general. But in terms of this whole Atlanta thing, you know, I, I like so many other people, we love seeing powerful people get taken down a peg. Uh, and I, with you, man, I lived in New York during those David Chang years and I worked for Time Out New York, as you know, and maybe some of our listeners don't. They were, they were as the breathless as anybody about it. Right. I was the chief copy editor for Time Out New York. So I edited its food culture for food coverage for many years. And I really bristled at a lot of it. The ass kissing drove me nuts. Although, you know, the, the people I work with around that section, there are very few of them who I don't have respect for. They worked very hard. And in fact, some of them I liked quite a bit. So this isn't a personal thing. I just had problems with the culture. Like one example, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was some chef who every year he opened some wacky restaurant, some ridiculous restaurant in some bullshit neighborhood serving some insane food. It would get tons of breathless coverage. Every issue they'd be praising it. And the place would shut down in six months. And then six months later, another he'd open another place. And I'm like, stop kissing this guy's ass. He's bad at his job. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it became to me, I'm, I hear you, it became like they're turning food into this exclusivity thing, which bothers me anyway, because I have the sour grapes that all people who feel like they're shut out of the cool kids club have. But yeah, you mentioned it. It bothers me more with food because food is such an elemental thing. And to turn food into a, a, a pretentious you know, way of separating the cool kids from the normal people strikes me as especially obnoxious. Um, so yeah, that's, so yeah, you know, I'm glad he's he's taken them down. And then one last thing, the death threats against a restaurant, just because a reviewer didn't like it, is unbelievably depressing. I don't understand where that, where that anger, where that hate, where that rancor comes from. I have no idea. The other day I had Indian food for the first time in a long time from this local place called Nine and Curry. So today I went back and I got a bunch of stuff I've never tried before. I got it. Let's try it and rate it 1 through 10. I spent $73.70. I'm going to show you everything I got, and we're going to try it and rate it 1 through 10. Noah, why is this popular? Why are we talking about this today? Well, I think Keith Lee, in some ways, offers something for everyone. You know, he's he's inured in black culture. So if you're an African-American, you probably feel at home in, you know, his expression and all that. Um, you know, if you're a food person, there's a, there's a lot to that. If you... I don't know. I just feel like he, he covers a lot of bases. So he's very inoffensive to nearly everyone or nearly every sane person. And he's informative. You know, I mean, there's there's an element of if you're going to a city, you might want to check out, you know, Keith Lee's been there. Like, well, where should I eat in freaking Cleveland? I don't know if he's been to Cleveland, but let's say he's been to Cleveland. Where should I eat in Cleveland? Well, Keith Lee loved this place in Cleveland. Great. Now I know. Better than going to Yelp. Better than going to, you know. What did they do when we were kids? If you wanted a restaurant, I guess you'd uh, read about it in yeah, like good a question. guidebook or something, yeah. right? Anyway, you know, Keith Lee, you feel like you're getting it a little more honest. So I think he really offers a service for a wide range of people. Um, and I think a lot of people are like me. And what I just said is that we all love seeing the powerful people get their comeuppance, um, especially if it's a dude we can feel good about taking the side of. But I think. Something else, you know, you talked about, we both talked about food being this gatekeeper thing is offensive. I'm going to white-splain here a bit, but I think maybe it that's an especially powerful force in Black culture because, you know, I'm sure a lot of African-American people, many cities, but especially in a Southern city like Atlanta, 
feel like, well, we were excluded from culture or our culture was marginalized for so long. And to find, I don't know, I imagine it stings more when a restaurant owned by black people shuts you out than a restaurant owned by white people. It feels like a betrayal, maybe. And to to call out this toxic culture, I think, feels especially needed. So I imagine that's fueled some of it. I mean, I've read some things that say there had to be a reckoning among these Atlanta restaurants with their obnoxious rules and their exclusionary you know, attitude. And Keith Lee, you know, it was ready to burst and it took a guy like Keith Lee to break it open. And now we're all glad he did. So I think this was something that needed to happen for a lot of people, a lot of food goers in Atlanta. And I would I would reckon a lot of black people in Atlanta. So, you know, he, he was a, a great uh, a great messenger for this message that needed to be heard, I guess. Yeah, um, I think that in terms of somebody ripping down people who are chasing clout i think that there is a modern movement of like of, of watching the enjoyment of watching somebody get exposed if they're doing something simply to chase clout you know it, it it's the idea we used to call it a sellout or something like that back in the old days but it's like this poser. is some, a poser, poser man there's no bigger insult than being a poser. And being a clout chaser is being a phony it's be, doing something for the wrong reason it's being inauthentic or not good at it and all these things and it's like yeah and so you, have i ever told sorry have i ever told this story about the guys in eighth grade who scorned anyone who wore a tie-dye shirt and wasn't a huge Grateful Dead fan. These guys were like, thought they were the biggest Grateful Dead. They were 13. And they would still like, I can't, these fans who won't even Grateful Dead fans for the last six months are such phonies. And I'm like, you're fucking in eighth grade. They just, they were so obsessed with like, who's a real fan and who's not. It was so weird. That's the gig. We did that with comic books too, I'm sure. It has something to do with it. Sure. Gamergate, totally that. So, you know, this uh, Keith Lee is a, is a black man. He pivoted to food reviews, like I said, from MMA, which is not the most obvious career path. But it's fascinating, you know, that he kind of pulled it off. Whether intending to or not, it looked like a pretty organic trajectory upwards. Um, you know, and, and uh, again, like you said, he's championed by a, by a black audience, I would assume, majority black audience for it. You know, there is the, the comfort you get. If, with him being your, your guide, with him being your ombudsman, means something different than a Sam Sifton or a Pete Wells or somebody who's talking. I love seeing uh, New York Times dining section, you know, some lady from New Jersey, some white lady from New Jersey who went to Dartmouth or Oberlin talking about, oh, this gets covered in, uh, you know, a cornmeal crust, you know, like they do in the South. And it's like, I'm so glad you're here to tell us this uh, you know, as, you, as you're cooking fried chicken, you know, the way somebody would do back in Nashville or down in the down in the deep south. But this is completely different, you know. Um, I, and, and you know, I think it goes to the point, too, you mentioned this, is that there's something really interesting about as, as outsiders looking at black social media, whether it's black Twitter or black talk. Uh, you know, it's its its own dialogue. And, and I'll say it again. This is what you're going to miss if Twitter bottoms out, if X bottoms out. There, there isn't something really to replace it. If TikTok gets taken away or dinged because of whatever these fucking assholes are saying about it being a Chinese compromat on America, you're going to lose something because it, it is a very highly uh, designed organ, a critical organ or a communication des- uh, faculty that we've just never seen before. We can sit back and marvel that people could exchange this information the way they do now. And... You know, some people could uh, not understand it. I don't claim to know every little bit of it. But, you know, this guy is great. He's an unassuming every man. He's humble. He's plain spoken. Uh, and he's looking for good food. You know, you may not like the food. You may have a sort of an, an antipathy towards looking at some of these 
the, either the appearance of it or the, the cuisine that he's coming, but it's like, I think he's hitting on, he's asking the right questions, he's looking for the right food. And it, it evokes a vivid reaction. He's looking for spice, he's looking for flavor. And it's one of those things that you hear these days in terms of black people talking about white people under seasoning or not seasoning their food, not, you know, how to, not knowing how to use hot sauce. And it's like, this is part of that, but this is the corrective. This is the man who's saying, here's why spiced food, and here's how it's done properly. You always say, who don't, who has not. And God said, you walking in light, you gotta receive the light. Instead of crying, you need to rejoice. Because guess what? That man walked into your establishment and God put that on his heart. So Bill, if you were a young man, would you engage with Keith Lee as a food? Would he influence your, you and your food choices? Uh, would you be calling in death threats to restaurants that have nothing to do with... <laughs> Oh, yeah. What is wrong with people? Taco Bell? Anyway, death threats to Taco Bell? Death threats to Taco Bell because he, he had a bad chalupa. Uh, yeah, I mean, would you would you be a Keith Lee follower or fan if you were a young man in this day and age? I used to watch cooking shows on PBS in particular. There was a couple. There was the, the Galloping Gourmet. There was Julia Galloping Child. Gour Didn't he get arrested for child molestation or something? That, no. Sorry to bring you down. No, that was that guy Jeff Smith. He did. Yeah, he was like a... That wasn't the Galloping Gourmet? Was the Galloping Gourmet Jacques did, Pepin? Did, uh, did a little bit. A little bit. His galloping was a little... No, uh, Jeff, the line Jeff little. Smith looked like an old librarian or, or, or calculus teacher. He's the one that got... Um, he got he's the one that got taken down for... Graham yeah. Kerr was the Galloping okay, Gourmet. Graham an Englishman or something like yeah. That's, uh, think it this says but, nothing about him. No, this is the other guy, incredible. Jeff Smith. But yeah, I used to watch these shows on PBS, and it was fascinating because I was watching food. Things that I didn't understand were food were being cooked with, and it wasn't as simple. Like they weren't just making like what is it called? Oufs en gelée, the idea of an egg and jelly, which is one of these establishment things you make at Escoffier cooking school in France of uh, putting a, a boiled egg inside of a jelly that you make out of aspic. You know, that's the, the highest of fine French dining. Uh, but it was like I was, it was a wonderment of what food could be and food wasn't in my house. Things that's like, I didn't realize you could eat this stuff. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I sort of started sampling the flavors of the world I've been curious about. Um, you know, the everyman aspect of this guy's unprepossessing style would have appealed to me. The man slings no bullshit whatsoever. I think we can, anyone looking at six seconds of his videos understands that. But in terms of like, would it have actually driven me out into the world to go find these things? Uh, not until I was a lot older and felt like I somehow was able to transcend the meat and potatoes, burger, you, you know, very basic, non, not spiced food world. And that is closer to being in my mid-20s what I felt like I would have been impelled to find what this guy was talking about. So the, the, the idiom of what he's talking about, yes, but whether it's actually being ballsy enough to try some of the food, some of the Indian food he was talking about, some of that, you know, the jerk chicken, some of the sort of southern stuff. I don't know. That, that may have been a bridge too far, but who knows. So when did you start eating foods that, you know, weren't native to your Long Island town? When I did think you start becoming a when more I was, adventurous? When I was in college and after college, once I had a gig, uh, I worked at a newspaper and I was making decent money for a guy my age because I was an editor. And the Hamptons has, you know, uh, has and had a panoply of really sophisticated restaurants because it is a satellite, an enclave of Manhattan. And so, um, you know, the idea of going out and spending a couple hundred dollars on dinner with lobsters and weird things like that, 
escargot, you know, the things that you'd only read about. I'm like, this was the time to experiment. And again, it was like I had the money to do so because I didn't own anything. Right. And rent was affordable. So that was where the experiment experimentation came in my post-collegiate. So you, as a kid, I assume with your parents, you never went to an Indian. I mean, you probably went to a Chinese restaurant. Chinese, right? yeah. Chinese was not spicy. You know, Chinese had flavor. But, but like, it was, would, no. would you go to like an Indian restaurant Indian, or a Mexican Indian, restaurant? It's funny. I always think about this. Mexican food barely existed on Long Island in the 80s. That's Indian right. Mexican in, food was mostly unknown to the average white American. And like Indian food, I don't even know. I didn't try Indian food until 1999 anywhere. I, wow. it, that was that they were just you know what? There were Indians who lived, but there were not there were not enough of them to essentially to to establish restaurants, I think. Uh yeah, I, you know, if I were young, I think I would use this to find restaurants. Not maybe not him because He's so far from my experience. I mean, Atlanta, I've never been, and it's not a city that seems like a destination for me. I'm not, like I said, I've never been into restaurant culture, and I've never really been into, you know, African-American food or soul food, if they still call it that. It's and just and never who, been knew, big... who knew Vegas had sort of a foodie background to all the other weird things? Oh, why? That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. I had really good pizza in Vegas. I, br- off I had the beaten track. I had, I had really, bad pizza in the on the strip, but anyway. I had really good Chinese there once. A friend recommended it to me. Really, in Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can believe. I mean, look, it's a destination for vacationers, so they're gonna want to have great restaurants. They're also gonna have shitty restaurants. Uh, so you know, the world of Keith Lee is so far from my experience, but I feel like maybe not Keith Lee himself, but like that's what I use to figure out where to eat. Which I guess in my twenties, I used Time Out New York, right? I was reading it anyway. Uh, so yeah, if I were younger, I'd, I'd probably engage with him more, but I don't think I'd be a Keith Lee stan. Five minutes into doing this, the line started getting crazy. And after a while, a few people was walking up to us and we started taking pictures. And I could sense the angels started getting confused. So I introduced myself to him, which normally I don't do, but I didn't want him to feel like I was scamming or not. No, let's uh, get back to the apocalypse here because it's been uh-huh. a month since we talked about it. Is there any end yes. of the world signs? Somehow the world's still here. Are there I any, mean, are there any, it's any, been a hell of a month, my friend. Any one, of, any of, one of the seven seals breaking over this topic at the moment? Yeah. Well, look, you could say... I compared him to Ronald Gladden before, the guy from Jury Duty, the people who restore your faith in humanity because they're good and honest, even though they look like, or to a lot of people, they look like people who aren't good and honest. So you could say Keith, and his attitude is great. I mean, how do you not like this guy? And how do you not feel like he's striking a blow for, let's be kind, let's be honest. So you could feel, I feel like Keith Lee himself, sure, I'll give him credit. He's anti-apocalypse. But I hate to harp on this. Death threats to bad... Death threats to restaurants because a reviewer you like didn't like it, even though the reviewer is tell- is being sympathetic to them, is so insanely psychotic that I just, I don't know what to make of that. Any culture in which that exists in any level freaks me the fuck out. And if we are in a world where like anything you slightly disapprove of is worthy of, you know, even if you would never act, I'm sure most of these people would never, ever act on it. But just saying that is so so extremely excessively toxic that I weep for any culture in which that exists. No, I got to agree with you because uh, in in the absolute, influencer culture is a terrible phenomenon. Uh, honestly, not, it is. But if influencers are like this guy, I think it's all right. Not, but the thing is, they're not, no, and, and not enough of them can be. Well, but, but I, look how popular he's got. Maybe he'll change that tide, right? I kind of. 
I mean, he'll do something for it, but you're still talking about an awful phenomenon. I think the negative aspects... Yes. I mean, also, he connected with Mr. Beast. We love Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is a great guy. Mr. Beast is being ripped down by a lot of people for not just the idea that Mr. Beast is not a bad... He's not a bad man, but the idea of what Mr. Beast does, he, he perpetuates this sort of lottery culture where, you know, it's like you're not going to get better unless someone comes in and blesses you. Like, if you can stack up video games at GameStop, we'll give you a million dollars. It's some, like, stunt culture to say a shortcut. Anyway, the whole idea is that... It's like, no matter how good this guy is, I just feel like the negative aspects of influence culture far outweigh any good it could do. And, and, and again, no disrespect intended to Keith Lee's acumen, to his body of work. Um, he, he is almost separate from, from the, uh, the, 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 the warning I would put out of here because I think, simply put, he has too much power. Even if he's aware of it, he, he tends to, you know, one of the words you didn't use when you were lauding him before is the idea of modesty and moderation. He is trying to, he's trying to affect modesty and moderation in the people he knows. Like, do not do these things. It's like, uh, act responsibly, act quieter, be more responsible in terms of the way you react with, with business establishments. You're not at home. You don't know these people. Be decent. And that's great. But it's I just sort of feel like in spite of that, he still has too much power, even if he's using it for good. There's too much power centralized and too many influencers to trust all how all the influencers are doing because I believe that a lot of these influencers are just wreaking havoc in, in small ways. Even if they're not, they're not, you know, even if they're telling you don't write hate mail campaigns to restaurants, you're still, you know, getting people to spend their money on a fucking lip shade that you sell at a Sephora. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I, it's, yeah. it's, maybe there's not something sure. bad about that, but it's like, it's, a, it's, an, it's an uglier aspect of consumer culture. You know, like he's he's benevolent. I just keep singing his praises. He's he's a, he's a benign no, figure. There's nothing wrong with him. That's what but I'm saying. But there might be something wrong with the world he presents. Tonight, Metro Atlanta restaurant owners are changing their ways following a whirlwind visit from the viral food critic Keith Lee. They sure are. The man with 14 million TikTok followers and counting called out some of your favorite spots. In any way, uh, let's 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 lay bare here. Are you jealous of Keith Lee? Are you jealous of the Atlanta restaurant scandal du jour? Uh, any jealousy you harbor towards this topic of I don't get it, the pop culture get off my wall. Yeah, you know, going back to your, what you, you quoted before your experience uh, at Time Out with the breathlessness about uh, the way you wrote up food, the relationship of popular media to food and that it's, you know, teeth of gears interlocking one another of a, a gigantic hype machine. I, in particular, I envy his uh, ability to point out that the emperor has no clothes. And he, mm -hmm. I think he did it with, honestly, the softest hammer imaginable. A hammer wrapped in, like, velvet. But he still gave it a whack. And, you know, it was a gentle correction, but it was really kind of nice to see because I think it was the correct read on what he was seeing. The idea of the, here's rules for restaurants. Food, here's food, but you can't have it, you know? The Atlanta experience was, was um, sort of a nice... Uh, you know, it was a nice illustration of how this could be done. You know, and watching in New York, restaurants offer slim pickings with terrible customer service by design to create a sensation that these places, you know, there was there was uh, hour hours long waits out front, big crowds of people on the sidewalk, and the idea that people saw, oh, there's a huge line that must make it a line I want to sit in because right. there's something inside. Remember cronuts, people yeah. around the block for cronuts. Absolutely, yeah. Like, what the fuck was that about? It's profiting from hype, you know, and it's like I could yeah. I I could sidestep for a minute and tell you that this is happening. It started in the last two years, sort of pre and post pandemic in Holland, where you're getting lines that go around the block for things here that are regular there's a there's a chip shop which just sells 
regular ass Belgian frites, fried potatoes served in a paper cone with a dipping sauce. The line starts at nine in the morning, and they sell out of chips by two p.m. They have no more potatoes left. That's a tiny shop. Why? And Aren't there a TikTok. thousand places? TikTok, TikTok, and there's a Korean sandwich shop. TikTok again. There's a, there's a, there's all these there's two or three small places in my neighborhood that have been blowing up. And guess what? Even though the businesses are selling out, they have to close their doors by the early afternoon. The owners hate it. It is anti-Dutch. The idea of waiting <laughs> online. Tourists come right. here the same way that Keith Lee is driving people to these businesses. They're crowding these tiny the cobble streets that were made 400 years ago. And it's food culture, and they're standing on the bridges. And each of these restaurants, these places, these chip shops have had to actually hire somebody outside security to establish tents of barriers and line police to keep people off the streets so they don't get run over by cars and smack into bicycles. This, there, there needs to be a correction for that. So you commoditize food. The experience of paying a lot for a little in a big city is a very ugly trait. And I just, I, the, the, the aforementioned velvet wrapped hammer like Lee's, he's in a good position to do a little damage to shoddy business models, but hopefully be somewhat of a corrective. But it sounds to me like most of the places that Lee praises are thankful. I mean, the Frankensons, that pizza place. Yes. I mean, they're like, this is awesome. We were this close to closing and now we, you know, we, we, our business is great. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's I think the, one of the, the advantages. The, la I mean, the ladies' gang and the other ones of the world that right. are sort of anti-consumer. Those are the ones you fix. Right. Exactly. I think most of his targets or most of his subjects are these humble little restaurants that all they want to, you know, they want to have lines around the block. That's a good problem for them to have, even knowing that the hype will die down pretty soon. But you know, of the thousand people who line up on the, around the block, maybe a hundred will become regular customers, and that's what they need, right? So. Yeah, I, I think the way he does it is is good. I mean, maybe that doesn't work in the Netherlands as much, but in the United States it seems to. Um, I'm very jealous of a lot of things here. I, The kind of power he, I mean, I would never want anyone issuing a death threat in my name. I'm trying to think if there are a couple people in the world that would know. Um, certainly not a restaurant I didn't like, but I'd love that kind of power that... I say jump and people jump. I mean, who wouldn't want that, that kind of influence? I mean, I sell a product, I sell a commodity. You know, I wish it had that kind of pull that like you say word one and the lines around the block. Who wouldn't be jealous of that? Um, and then, you know, I'm a, I think I'm a good guy and I wish there were people in podcasts talking about how I'm a good guy. <laughs> Maybe there are. Uh, there's a whole, there's a new podcast folks that reviews episodes of I Don't Get It yeah. the Pop Culture Get Off My Lawn. Yeah. Cloud chasing. No, you, you did tell me we got one review that said you're a good guy, but Noah's annoying, right? Didn't you tell me that once? That was one of the first and ones we got. Yeah. I can accept that. I can accept that. That's a fair opinion. It was from your I dad, which is weird. <laughs> he does listen. He liked the. T he told me he listened to the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey one. Um, I don't remember what he said about it, but he said he listened. I think he feels guilty that he doesn't listen to every episode. So like he goes out of his way to listen to one episode. He, of he bought all the Kansas dad, City Chiefs. if you're listening, swag. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I'm jealous of Keith Lee. I'm jealous of that influence. I'm jealous of that power. Then how about this? I am jealous of his self-possession in that he is so good at resisting the ass-kissing, that he will not take the free meals, that he will not take the, the jumping the line for a reservation. I mean, if I were offered that, I would probably give in to the temptation. To to take those unfair. I mean, in some ways, I do have a lot of unfair uh, advantages. I would definitely, I don't, I don't I say would no to definitely them, so. take advantage of those things. Yeah, exactly, me. right? Like, I would take the table even though people have been waiting longer. I 
maybe feel bad about it for 30 seconds. But No, no. let's zip right into our last segment, the Filonian scale. Uh, of yes. the, the best boss, the most wholesome influencer uh, of all time, Jimmy Fallon. The, the, the man yeah. who we come here and respect uh, the hell out of. This is what it's named after. Our XYZ. But I've said this a thousand times. Like Compared to so many of the maniacs and idiots we've reviewed on the show, Jimmy Fallon comes out looking not so bad. Okay. Let's then find one to come up with a better segment name and we'll call it that. How about no, that? No, no. I still hate him. I'm just you know, all being right, clear. So, all right. So we're going to change this to the Epstein scale and see what you think on uh, the <laughs> scale of one to ten. All right. Anyway, so oh, where, where does, uh, where does, where does, where does uh, this guy fall on the scale? All right, you know, I, I, I like to use logic here. So I mentioned a couple times Ronald Gladden, the protagonist of Jury Duty, America's hero. So take Jury Duty, multiply it times, I thought of a food topic, poke, which I know you hated, but I kind of liked. So Jury Duty times poke. Now I wanted to divide it by something that is, you know, in, in, indicative of African-American culture, because that seems to be a big factor here. So divide it by SZA, right? SZA, the, the singer, from, uh, uh, I, know. Oh, I, I know who it is, yes. Yeah. You know who SZA is? Yes. S-Z-A? SZA? Have you heard of SZA? Scissor, Scissor. yeah. Scissor. Scissor. What's her real name again? Uh, she goes by SZA, Bill. Gary, her her real name was Gary SZA. Gary <laughs> Gary is the name you love. Her real name is Shlomo Gershkowitz. Uh, all right, so jury duty times poke divided by SZA minus 12.184. And that's where you find the Keith Lee experience this is gonna sound like i'm slagging on uh keith lee because i just spoke ill of this man a little while ago but jimmy donaldson better known as mr beast strikes me as a comp simply because you know like i i'm I'm not gonna jimmy donaldson created the channel but he's not responsible for the uh atmosphere that built him nor how it is sort of perverted around him or coalesced into a weird pocket of greed and influence he seems to mean well, I don't think he's a bad man, even though he perpetuates some, some, you know, capitalistically some bad things in terms of people waiting for wish culture to finish them off or, you know, to give them a shot in the arm. However, it's like he is the biggest comp, I think, in terms of an influencer who seems to come across uh, as really... Ronald Gladden, is, he's not an influencer, but like Ronald Gladden is one of those weird things, you know, who, who went above and beyond the call of the TV show Jury Duty to sort of like be positioned as the winner of 2023 in terms of just average guy sweepstakes. You know, and it's like Keith Lee, for me, could almost be one of the contenders at the end of the year for like the Oscars of nice guy. Uh, you know, there aren't too many of them. It says a lot about the age we live in. But um, I, the influencer part always like squicks me out. There's just something about that. I wish we could abandon that part of it and just go back to expertise. But luckily, you know, the nice thing about Keith Lee is that it's not the destruction of expertise. It's almost like the acquisition, the accrual of expertise is what gave Keith Lee credibility. And I'm not really sure what Jimmy Donaldson, Mr. Beast, is good at, to be honest, other than showing up on camera wearing a backwards baseball cap. He's excellent at that. But I don't really see him talking about, you know, Isaac Asimov, you know, texturally what he's talking about in the Foundation Saga. You know, I don't really know where he gets with it. But at least I know a little bit more about Keith Lee now so that I don't, I don't you know, I don't despise the guy. I give him some credit at least. I think the difference with Keith Lee and other, you know, the, we talk a lot about the death of um, expertise. But I think if you were to look back on other influential food people over the years, whether it's food critics or whatever, I imagine a lot of those people really didn't have that much more training or expertise than Keith Lee. I mean, maybe some of them studies as chefs or journalists, but I think a lot of critic cultures, people just fall ass backwards into that. I'm a lot less bothered by someone stumbling into being an influential food critic 
than I am someone's, you know, if you were up there talking about vaccines or, or something, you know, medicine or astronomy or something that like you actually need expertise to understand at an authoritative level. I don't mind, I, I feel, I, if an influencer, if some jerk off on TikTok is gonna become the most powerful voice in food reviewing, that doesn't bother me that much, even if he's completely untrained in the art. You know what I mean? All right, no, I think that takes us to the end of yet another episode. Yet, yet another episode. God knows. A countless, countless amount of episodes here. We're up there, folks. Skipping a month, nonetheless, we're up there. We've we been doing this. Uh, we are way six, up there. Almost seven years. Yeah. Almost seven years. So if you guys would like to find past episodes, look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. No longer Stitcher, as uh, somebody keeps telling me. I think it was Sky Wingfield was correcting me. Stitcher is defunct. We want defunct. We gotta get that funked. Uh, tweet to us at. Gotta get defunct. Oh. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us Noah and Bill. Don't get it at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregator. I am on Twitterx, uh, Twitter, Twitter at, at William Scurry, and I will be until the dying days because it is. Um, still having a good time there. There's still some. Somebody You're said, on X. If you press I, I, I'm on X. Still- I still haven't gotten over how bad a business decision that was. Oh, it's terrible. It's yeah, awful. Name it X. It's, I can, I can find insane. easier ways to get rid of $20 billion if you're looking for it. I could lose it a lot more respectfully. Uh, I saw a joke the other day. It's not that funny, but it did make me smile. It said, I saw a kid on Halloween dressed as Elon Musk. All he did was run around and steal candy from other kids' bags, and a bunch of other kids followed him around and said he was a genius. I'm on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash AMC. Good reaction, Bill. Thank you. You'll see some <laughs> Instead like, of laughing, you go, yeah. It wasn't your joke. It's fine. You want to take it personally. So, no, where can people find you? Uh, I am the Big Quiz Thing. BigQuizThing.com is my business. America's finest source of corporate and private live trivia events, virtually and in person. Uh, Check us out. Hire us. We're booking for the holidays. It's getting booked up. Holidays happening. Holiday parties, family parties, corporate events. You name it. Nationwide, worldwide. I'm going back to Seattle next month. I haven't been there for a long time. So, looking forward to that. And, uh... It's all the travel I got planned, business travel I got planned, Bill, but uh, always surprises around the corner. So. All right, everybody, until the next episode of the show, we will be pointing out, curating the best sources of Circle K sushi in the continental United States. We, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.